Well, as we remain standing uh, and pray, I just want to let you know that today I'm going to share uh, two very biblical, basic, foundational Christian doctrines with you that are going to sound so utterly crazy that some of you might indeed call the bishop and ask him to come a week early. Number one, Christians get to spend, uh, do not get to spend eternity in heaven. Did you know that? And number two, we can influence how long heaven lasts. So please pray for me. Lord Jesus, uh, I do pray that uh, as we wrestle with such strange ideas, uh, you would reveal to us your truth, the Holy Scripture, in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. Let's take our seats. So we've... uh, we spent five weeks now looking at false teaching, and it does sound perhaps from that introduction as though we're going to have at least one more. Uh, not from me, though. In chapter 3, Peter starts to address for us the, the arguments of, of the false teachers, and uh, one of their favorite things that they say is that if God is real, why does he feel so far away? What's up with God. Why does he not answer our prayers? Why does he not give us what we want? Is he unaware of our needs? Is he well aware, but he cannot help? Is he capable, but he does not care? Look at verse 4 in chapter 3. It says, they, this is the false teachers, they will say, where is the promise of his coming? He said he would return, and he has not returned, so perhaps he never will. Is God even there? So, Last week we saw that if we're not in the Word of God and we're not in the body of Christ, it's going to be very easy for us to fall for this lie. It's going to be one of those occasions where we don't see God doing very much. And uh, many of us, I think we've found, especially last week, we live very isolated lives as communication technology, quote-unquote, improves, at least abounds. Many of us live on our own, on an iPhone, checking our me mail and glued to a tube of you. We're all browsing under the influence of whatever it is that's on our screens, and we're saying, I can't see God. But we can if we get off of one of these. Get into the Word, get into the body. Uh, this week, same question, where is God? What's up with God? What is he doing? If God is real, why has he not returned? Same question. But now instead of looking at the, the, the world around us and the, the influences and the influencers that we have in our lives in this digital Babylon, we're going to look at God himself and see what God is doing. So I do invite you please to join me in Second Peter chapter 3, beginning today at verse 8. But do not overlook this one fact, beloved, that with the Lord one day is as a thousand years, and a thousand years as one day. If God is truly God, then his perspective must logically be different to our own. Think about it. Have you ever made a journey in a car with a child? And after just a few miles, inevitably, what did they say, apart from, I need the bathroom? What did they say? What did the child say on the long journey? All together now. All right, we know this one, don't we? (laughs) A five-hour drive feels like an absolute eternity to a child. And if you reason with the child or try to and you say, look, it is uh, a 60-mile journey 
and we are driving at an average speed of 60 miles per hour. Therefore, we will be there in exactly one hour. In five minutes' time, they will say to you, are we nearly there yet? A toddler is not stupid. They just lack the perspective to comprehend the distance and the time. It is developmentally healthy for them to ask that question. Uh, and no one in the right mind would ever expect a toddler to do middle school math, unless they study at Shadyside Academy, I suppose. Ooh, ooh. Uh, but we, we think we can grasp the infinite. We're so proud. Oh, I'm, I'm going to do fifth grade math in the fourth. I'm going to do fourth grade. We keep thinking we can bring all of this stuff forward, and, and that pride infects us as adults as well. I'm different. I'm special. I'm ahead. I'm advanced. And uh, I think I can put God in his place. I think I can grasp the infinite. I could never imagine a God who would do that. Well, of course you couldn't. What human can imagine or understand the depths of the majesty of God? Well, like children in that respect. Now, our grown-ups in the room, have you had the opposite experience to some of those children? Have you seen the pumpkins and the turkeys and the Christmas trees in the stores and, and said to yourself, what are they doing there? Literally, we've just put that stuff away. Does it feel to some of you as though time is speeding up, time is flying? A recent article from Harvard University suggests that as our ability to process information slows down with age, our perspective of the passage of time speeds up. Peter says, God can do both of these things on demand. God can experience the toddler's five-hour journey and the grown-up's Christmas experience all at once. He can, by his infinite and by his perfect will, spend a thousand years scrutinizing the events of just one day, and he can speed through a millennium in the twinkling of an eye, never missing the detail of what a single molecule might be up to in his creation. So therefore, verse 9, this is about the infinity of God. The Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise, as some count slowness. We lack the ability to judge time like God can, and we certainly lack the ability to judge him. God is not delayed. God is not slow. God has not disappeared. Instead, Peter says to us today, there is a reason for the delay. There is a good reason why God has not yet returned. I know he said he would come back, and I know he has not, but there is a good reason for it. And that reason, he says in verse 9, is patience. He is patient toward you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. He's waiting for one more person to be saved. That someone could be you, could be someone in this very room. Sadly, it might not be. On that day, Peter says, many will perish. It's a terrifying word. It means to be ruined. It means to be lost. It means to be put out of the way. And so God, consistently slow to anger and consistently abounding in mercy, is holding back. He's deliberately slowing down his return. That's why he seems slow to us. It's not lack of knowledge. It's not lack of power. It's not lack of love. It is not lack of existence. It is patience. God is desperate to rescue one more soul. 
that soul could be in this room this weekend. There is a scene in the movie Schindler's List, and I'm aware it was a book with a slightly different name originally. But in the movie Schindler's List, having rescued well over a thousand Jews, Oscar Schindler is given a ring, and he notices a little inscription inside of the ring. He holds it up, and Stern, one of the characters, says, it's Hebrew. It says, whoever saves one life saves the world. And Schindler slips the ring onto his finger and admires it, nods, thanks them, and then seems to withdraw. I'm reading from the script. He says, I could have got more out. I could have got more. And Stern says, Oscar, there are 1,200 people here alive because of you. Look at them. And the notes in the script say, Schindler cannot look. If I'd made more money, I threw away so much money. You have no idea. If I just, but there will be generations alive because of you and what you did. I didn't do enough. This car, he says, Goeth would have bought this car. Why did I keep the car? Ten people right there. I could have got out ten more people for this car. And then this pin. And he pulls off the, the swastika from his lapel and he says, two people. This is gold. Two more people. He would have given me two for this, at least one. He would have given me one, one more, one more stern, one more person, a person, he says. One more. I could have got out one more person. And at this point in the movie, Schindler breaks down and he just weeps. You see in that moment the heart of Jesus Christ as he weeps over his desperation for one more. That is Jesus. Verse 9 says, Not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. That's the heart of Jesus. So I was reading this verse all week, and I just, I just got fixated on this word reach. Reach repentance. I just started thinking, what on earth is that word doing there? Strange word, what does he mean? There were no commentaries on this that I could find, so I had to make some stuff up. And uh, <laughs> yeah, I know, it's always dangerous, isn't it? But uh, it, to reach in Greek, it means to be in the space of a thing. Uh, it means to enter into somewhere, like a zone. It means to yield to or be occupied by, and it means to receive. Those are the options. So God, we're being told here, is waiting for one more soul to enter into repentance, to move into a place of repentance and to receive repentance and thus be in a state that is entirely new. That is what God is waiting for. Not to say sorry, not to feel bad, not to go through the general confession in a few moments' time and go, and then think, you know, oh man, I'm on a sort of the usual Sunday morning guilt trip. Not to resolve to try harder next time. Not to be a slightly better you this week. That is not what God is waiting for. But metanoia, the transformation of your mind, the changing of your mind, is waiting for you to reach or enter into an entirely new state of mind, to have indeed the mind of Christ himself. 
That's what God is waiting for. Romans 12 says, do not be conformed to this world. Stop being so easily influenced by it. But be transformed. It means transfigured. Uh, the Greek word is metamorpho, which is just fun to say. Uh, but it means to be morphed into the mold of, ooh, a thing. Um, morphed into the mold of Jesus. Have your brain be, be changed in shape and function so that it becomes a Jesus brain by the renewal of your mind. And then having been transfigured, having been metamorphosed into the mold of, of the mind of Christ and renewed through grace alone, you will only need two more things. A new body, transfigured just like his, and a new world to use it in. Now at this point, it is well worth asking, how does it work? Let's do the mechanics. What actually happens when we die? Peter has an answer for us. So first, it's, it's true that uh, believers go to be with the Lord. We go to heaven. So Jesus says to the thief on the cross, this day, I tell you, you will be with me in paradise. So what we know by that is that the thief who died next to Jesus is in heaven with Jesus right now. He's no longer identified, by the way, as a thief, but he is identified as Christ. God is looking at that thief as though he were looking at his own son. And what did that thief do in the 20 minutes left to him dangling on a cross but turn to Christ and nothing else? And he worships there. That ex-con worships in heaven with the angels and all the saints and uh, with people that we've known and people that we've loved and people that maybe have only been there from our congregation just a couple of weeks. But that is not the end. That's not the end. Uh, when it comes to understanding eternity, I think many of us have got our doctrine from a combination of Dante and Disney. That's just about uh, where we've got our ideas from. So our beliefs about heaven and hell are both uh, bizarrely epic and yet also childishly cartoon-like at the same time. It's all pitchforks and groaning around in a weird pit while a witch cackles. Or, alternatively, sitting around on clouds while harps tinkle, played by fat babies. Great, but it's not biblical. The saved do go to heaven, but they do not stay there. That is not the end. Bishop Tom Wright once said, there is a life after life after death. There is more. Here's how it works. Peter shares the mechanics for us. On judgment day, on the day of the Lord, or the day, the parousia, his return, all different ways of saying the same thing, when he comes again in glory to judge the living and the dead, those who have died in unbelief will be raised for judgment and cast away eternally into a conscious hell. But at the same time, those who have died in Christ like the thief and like our friends from this church, who are at present in heaven with Jesus, will return, will come down with him from heaven, with Jesus. And those of us who are alive in Christ right now, people on this earth, including us in this room, if he were to return this very moment, will rise to meet them in the air at the same time, both gaining at this very moment in the air a new resurrection body, a body like Christ, 
Christ's resurrection body, a body that is transformed or transfigured or metamorphosed into his likeness as well. The mind of Christ merged and mingled now with the body of Christ perfectly. A perfect body with no more pain, no more trauma, no more slow decay and trips to, to the optician as you see those numbers change every two years. No more propensity to sin. No more need to type your sermon notes one point higher every two years. And then verse 10. Heavens will pass away with a roar, and the heavenly bodies will be burned up and dissolved. Stars and planets, verse 12, will melt and burn. Whereas the earth, so the heavens are passing away, but the earth and the works done on it will be exposed. The earth will not disappear but it will be transformed or transfigured or metamorphosed like your mind and like your body and like Christ himself. A new world. Verse 13 says, this is according to his promise. We're waiting for a new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells, where the holiness of God perfectly resides, where God wanders through our myth and we see him uninterrupted, where we touch him, where we sit and we eat with him, where perfected we belong, and there's no more sorrow and no more sin, just this endless alleluia of his presence. And finally, finally then, he dwells on this earth renewed with us, and his will is done on earth as it is in heaven. That's why he gave us that prayer. Now, if you're at all self-aware, and, and we're a small church, I know most of you very well, and I know that you are self-aware, uh, you will know that you are a bit of a mess. I'm the sinner-in-chief, so don't uh, think I'm judging you. I'm not. Just putting out a truth. And if you are self-aware enough to know that you are a bit of a mess, you might be thinking this is bad news because this sounds very lovely and I'm going to stick out of it. <laughs> I'm going to stink up the place. <laughs> I'm going to have to keep a low profile. Well, the good news is, of course, that's not true. God consistently renews. God consistently restores and redeems and resurrects that which he loves. And so if you are in Christ right here, right now, your mind has already been transformed, and all you need now is a new body and a new place to use it, and you will have both. That is the promise of God. That's why he incarnated, that's why he died, it's why he rose, and it's why he ascended, and he will come back as he left, as a human. You will get, along with the mind you have now, a body and a world to use it in. Here's the hitch. There's always a hitch. Verse 10. The day of the Lord will come like a thief, and thieves don't tell you when they're going to come, do they? It'll be a rubbish thief that sent you a text that said, just by the way, I'm going to break into your house at 3 a.m., just so you know. What are you be doing at 2.59? This is America, I know what you'll be doing. Wouldn't be a golf club in your hand. It will take us by surprise. The day of the Lord will be a shock. Uh, in our gospel reading today, Jesus says, and I'll just read it for you, but uh, Jesus says, uh, but concerning that day and hour, no one knows, not even the angels of heaven, nor the Son, but the Father only. If anyone tells you, look, the end of the world will come in one month's time, they're lying. They do not know. They cannot know. 
Some denominations have prophesied the end of the world 11 times, and they've got it wrong every single time. Know this, Jesus says, if the master of the house had known in what part of the night the thief was coming, only Jesus could describe himself like a thief, just as he describes a thief as being like himself. He would have stayed awake and would not have let his house be broken into. Therefore, you also must be ready for the Son of Man is coming at an hour you do not expect. He is waiting and waiting and waiting, holding back for one more person. That one more person could be you. And if it is not you, because you are already ready, you already have the mind of Christ, you're already ready, and he's not waiting for you to reach or enter into repentance, then he's waiting for you to carry on in it. And there is more good news if that's where you are. You have a role now to play in Jesus' plan. Turns out the ultimate influencer is not a makeup artist or an activist or a screaming teenager hurling fruit and falling into a pool full of ping pong balls endlessly on TikTok and Instagram. The ultimate influencer, it turns out, is you. It's a Christian. There are no greater influencers in the history of the world than you. You cannot know when he will return. But Peter says you can influence when it occurs. You can actually have an impact on the timing of Christ's return. Because when we live, verse 11 says, in lives of holiness and godliness, we are, verse 12, hastening the coming of the day of the Lord. Speeding it up. Are we nearly there yet? I don't know. We cannot know. But God in his grace is calling you to speed up that journey. Either this morning. He wants to do that by reaching you for the first time. Or using you to reach someone else. It's only one of two things. Let's pray. Lord Jesus Christ, you're a God of immense grace. That not only would you save a wretch like me, but you would then use me in your salvation plan. I love that you do that, Lord. So please transform us by the renewal of our minds and give us the mind of Christ. And Lord Jesus, as we enter into that place of repentance with a new mind, would we be ready for your return? And Lord, would we ready others for it? We look to that day when our bodies are transformed and we look to that day when the world is transformed and you dwell uninterrupted in our midst. And we do pray, God, boldly, come, Lord Jesus, and use us for your purposes. In the name of Jesus Christ, amen.